Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. For a long time, at least several hundred years, thousands of years, Christians have been greeting one another on Easter Sunday with something called a paschal greeting. And most of you probably know it, but it goes something like this. Christ has risen. Y'all got it. If that's your first time hearing it, go ahead and join us on this one. Christ has risen. So the early church, they would encourage one another with that reality, with that truth, that Jesus is alive, that hell could not hold him back, that the grave could not keep him down, nor could death keep him back, but Jesus is alive and he has triumphed gloriously over hell, over death, over the grave, over sin. Jesus is alive. Christ has risen. You guys got it. Come on. That's what we're celebrating this Sunday morning, church family, is that Jesus Christ is alive. And we're also kicking off our brand new sermon series uh, for the Easter season and afterward. And this sermon series is simply entitled, Just Jesus. All right? Just Jesus. Jesus, I'm gonna borrow a line from Kirk. This ain't about legacy, this is about Jesus. This sermon series is just Jesus. And every single Sunday afterward, uh, we're just gonna be examining another facet of the nature of God in Christ Jesus. And so this Sunday, for Easter Sunday, uh, we're gonna be talking about Jesus as Savior. Jesus as Savior. Everybody say this with me. Jesus saves. saves. You ever seen that billboard before? Bumper sticker? Written in the dirt on the back of a semi-truck? Jesus saves. I remember a friend of mine was telling me one time, like, he saw that, like a huge billboard, and he was like, man, Christians are so funny. Like, they're always using this slogan. Like, why are they doing that? And then he said the Holy Spirit whispered to him and said, I've used it. So now when I see a billboard that says Jesus saves or a bumper sticker that says Jesus saved, I'm just like, get him, God. Amen. Hallelujah. That's right. It's a good reminder, isn't it? To just say that over your soul one time for Easter Sunday. Jesus saves. He saves. That's who Jesus is. So for Easter Sunday sermon, I have a bit of a Bible study for you. Is that all right? I'm sorry it's not a TED Talk. If you came to church today expecting one of those, unfortunately, I do not have seven steps to greater success. But I do have a Bible study on Easter Sunday morning, and it's called Jesus Saves, and we're going to talk about the man, Christ Jesus, who is our Savior. Everybody say it with me again. Say, Jesus Saves. All right, let's pray. Lord, we want to say thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you that... Even though heaven and earth may pass away, the word of God will never pass away. It's everlasting. It works each and every time, through each and every season, in each and every culture. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves, God, we know that your word works and that it shall not return to you void, but will accomplish each and every purpose in which you intended it. 
So God, we pray that you would go to work today on our hearts, that you'd just take a scalpel to our soul and that you'd cut away everything in us that does not bring you glory and that you'd impart everything that you want to be in us so that we might be transformed more into your image. We love you so much, Lord, and we're so grateful for this free gift that we get to partake of today called salvation. Refresh us today in the spirit of God. Refresh us today with the word of God. We love you and we devote this time to you in Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, Brian. Is your hands about to fall off yet? Because this is the third time we've done this today. And to be honest, man, I'd be down for number four if you guys just want to do a little revival afterwards. Man. Although Brian Neer won't be here, you know why? Because they're having a baby. Isn't that awesome? So as I mentioned today, here's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the reality that Jesus has triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. As saved people, we are able, because of Jesus, to triumph also over death, hell, and the grave. And that's actually what it means to be saved, but I've noticed that as we walk with Jesus and do this thing called faith and call ourselves Christians, it's so easy to neglect the reality that we are saved. Like, we often forget, like, okay, I'm saved. But what does that mean? How does it affect your soul when you say those words, I'm saved? Are you reminded of where Jesus has brought you from? Do you remember where you started, where Jesus found you? Or is this this, you know, sort of like a religious slogan? When you think about it, Jesus saves. Have you ever asked yourself the question, um, from what? How about another question? From who? Right? Somebody, somebody right now is thinking about their ex-boyfriend. Hey, hallelujah. Amen. Jesus, save me. Bless God. When, when you say you're saved, have you ever thought about for what? What do you say for? How about this? For who? Who are you saved for? How do you get saved? You ever thought about that before? Maybe you're in the room and you're like, I don't know if I'm even saved. Like, let's answer the question, how do you get saved? How about another question, why do I even need to be saved? Right, we, we use this language, but so often we neglect what it means uh, to be reminded of the reality that God tells us that his son Jesus is in fact a savior, and the only person that is able to save us from death and sin is the only person that could victoriously conquer death and sin, and the only person that has ever been or will ever be is a man named Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. That's who it is. He is savior. He is the only one able to save us. He is humanity's only hope for salvation. The Bible teaches this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, there is only one God. This is the first thing I learned as a kid. I remember my dad looking at me saying, son, how many gods is there? One. That's the first thing I learned. One. Right? That was a question. How many gods is there? One. He'd impress his friends at a dinner. Son, get in here. How many gods is there? One. Right? Yeah. It's just one. And then he'd follow it up. What's his name? His name is Jesus, Dad. You know. 
There's only one God. There's only one mediator. That means there's only one intercessor. There's only one person who is able to stand in the gap. There's only one person who could connect the chasm between humanity and God, and that man's name is? Yeah, y'all know it. I, yeah, I know. I should have known the 1230 came to party, you know, turn up a little bit. It's just Jesus. He's the only person that can do this. The man, Christ Jesus, he is humanity's only hope for salvation. So we're going to be reminded of this reality today, church, on Easter, that it's only Jesus that saves. How do you get saved? It's actually not that complicated. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You guys want to declare that with me? Jesus is Lord. Woo. Doesn't that sound good? Every now and then, you just need to remind your heart, Jesus is Lord. Every now and then, I need to remind my past, Jesus is Lord. Every now and then, I enjoy just reminding the devil, Jesus is Lord. Every knee is going to bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Ha <laughs> ha. That's fun. What if the whole sermon was us just shouting repetitiously, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> we confess that with our lips. What else do we do? We believe in our hearts that what happened, that God, the Father, raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning, church, that he didn't stay in the grave, that hell couldn't hold him back, that death couldn't keep him down, but that... Jesus is Lord. Yeah, y'all got it. I think y'all got it. Y'all came ready to preach. Well, let me tell you a story. God has promised humanity a Savior all throughout human history. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you'll see multiple references to God promising humanity a Savior from a number of things, but he promises them a Savior. And um, I'd I like to pick up uh, where he did so in the story of Jesus by looking at Jesus' earthly father, whose name is Joseph. You guys know the story, the nativity, the Christmas story. Well, Jesus' earthly father named Joseph, Joseph was visited by an angel. And this angel came to him and spoke to him about the son he was gonna have in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He said, she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, get this description. Description. He will save, Jesus saves, his people from what? Their sins. Now, we know that every single word that this angel spoke did, in fact, come to pass. Every single one of them. He was born, Jesus was born, and then he was taken by his parents to the temple, as was the custom of the law, to have the baby Jesus dedicated. You guys know how we do baby dedications here, right? So we get that from the Bible, right? So you see Joseph and Mary, they got this little bundle of joy named Jesus, you know, all wrapped up, taking him to the temple to dedicate him to God. And there's a man there named Simeon. Now, when Simeon sees the baby Jesus, he begins to say something in Luke chapter 2, verse 28, 29, 30. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Why is that? Because my eyes have seen what? Your salvation. Jesus saves. Now, this reality is something that the church has continued to preach for thousands of years. If you look at Acts chapter 13, you'll see the apostle Paul proclaiming this same truth. 
in verse 23. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised, y'all say that word with me, Savior of Israel. Jesus saves. Now, we know that God promised humanity this Savior, and then we see Jesus doing the work of saving souls. If you look at Luke chapter 19, verse 11, you'll see probably one of the best descriptions of the purpose of Jesus, which says, for the Son of Man, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save whom? The lost. Jesus saves. That's what he does. Jesus is a Savior. This is whom Jesus becomes known as, Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior. We oftentimes think of this today whenever we say, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, right? My personal Lord and Savior, right? And so this is something the church has been preaching for a long time. You'll see the Apostle Paul writing his letter to Titus, his spiritual son. Chapter one, verse four, Paul says, grace and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus who? Our Savior, right? A few chapters later, you'll see him say it again. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and so we know this is one of the names of God, that Jesus is Savior. We've seen this bumper sticker. We know that Jesus saves. We even say this to one another. Have you met Jesus Christ? He's my personal Lord and Savior. But especially uh, for those who are here today that you're like, I'm a Christian. I've been walking with God for a long time. Do you really, really remember what it means that you are saved? I mean, I would like for it to move my soul when I whisper that over myself, I'm saved. Woo. Yo, I remember the very first time, time I ever raised my hands in church. Very first time. I remember where I was standing. I remember the church I was in. I was off to the side on the right hand. I was probably in a three-piece suit because that's how I thought everybody dressed that went to church. I'd been there a whole three weeks. And um, had my hair slicked back, you know, just really cleaned up. And I saw these people lifting their hands, and I thought, man, I'm going to try that out. I don't know what to do with my hand. You know, like Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hand. You kind of got that. But then all of a sudden, I was like, because you think somebody's going to look at you? Like, you know, you're like, everybody else is lifting their hands, but you think somebody's going to call you out like, don't, no, what, hey, you're not doing it right. You know, so you don't really know, like. You know, and you're like, okay, yeah, I, I, I'm a hand raiser. That's me. I'm a hand lifter. I lift my hands in church now. You know what I mean? It's like you upgraded your worship. You're like, I'm one of them weird ones. And then all of a sudden, you're like walking into the church with your hands raised. And because like you don't really know how to do it yet. And so people are like, not yet, bro. You don't have to lift your hands like yet. Are you just, you're like, you're trying to figure it out, you know? I remember the first time I lifted my hands in church and I felt like the Lord spoke to me so clearly. He said, how does it feel to know you're going to heaven? So when I think about Jesus saves, I can't help but to think about that moment when I was in that ridiculous suit. <laughs> lifting my hands in that tiny church in the middle of a bean field and God speaking so powerfully to my spirit saying, you're saved. You're saved. 
And of course, you know, when we talk about salvation, we may look at it from different angles, but I really want to hone in on what does the Bible say that you're saved from? And what does the Bible say that you need to get saved from? And what does the Bible say is the method for how you are to be saved? Those are some things that I'm interested in on this Easter Sunday morning. So let me just resolve the question. What does it even mean to be saved? Uh, Maybe we should ask a follow-up, though. Do you really even need to be saved? Because I think that we could all probably agree that if we were to go out and tell somebody in the street, you need to be saved, they would be very mad. Would you agree? Have you ever done evangelism like that? Like, I've done that before. It's not super fun. I've been cussed out, spit on, people threatened us, challenged us, you know, mocked us, tried to debate with us. Like, that method of evangelism makes me slightly uncomfortable, but I will do it. (laughs) You need to be saved because it's true. I mean, that's why it is true, right? That's why we get saved, because it's true. Because it's true, right? So if you were to go out today and tell somebody, you need to be saved, they'd be like, you're what's wrong with the world. (laughs) But wouldn't they? (laughs) Man, I'm funny in this third service. I didn't mean to be, but that's what they would say. You are what's wrong with the world, wouldn't they? You know why? Because modern people live by modern philosophies. And the philosophy that our culture is currently captivated by is a philosophy called relativism. Have you guys ever heard of that before? It's like a fancy $5 word, which, you know, defined is is like this. Um, What's good for you is good for you, bro. And what's good for me is good for me. Bro, you live your truth. I'm a, you know what I'm I'm going to live my truth. You live your truth. Get him off the stage. He's finished. Just people get so philosophical when they're high. They think they're super insightful. You're way more insightful under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Just so you know. Just so you know. (laughs) Anyways, so back to relativism. So there's this philosophy called relativism, and it's not biblical. letting it stay there for a moment just for effect like it's not biblical like you can't support the philosophy of relativism with the scripture you definitely cannot support it in the ministry of Jesus because there's never a moment in time in the sermon on the mount when Jesus sits down begins teaching gives some instructions and then he get and then he says but you know what you do you boo there's just some good thoughts you know what but whatever you feel Whatever you think, though, because, because you need to live your truth. So if you were to tell somebody today, you need to be saved, they'd be like, you know what? I do need to be saved. I need to be saved from the notion that I need to be saved. I need to be saved from people like you. 
Because you are, in fact, what's wrong with the world. You are pressing your religious beliefs on other people, and you need to stop doing that because that's actually hateful. It's violent. It's unkind. And it's certainly not politically correct. But unfortunately, you cannot support any of those ideologies with that of the Scripture. Thus, for me to even preach this today requires a certain level of courage. And I'm not saying that to, like, you don't, don't, don't like, good job, Lyle. It's not that. It's just that, like, I'm realizing how much trust is required to preach the Bible. Just to be honest, like, if you just truly present the gospel, like, you really have to trust God to back up his word because if you just say what he says, he has to move or else culture is going to cancel you. I mean, that's, that's just reality, right? Because that is the world in which we live. So we live in this philosophical time in which man is ultimate, not God. Right? So all of the paradigms, all of the ideas in which we even approach what is true comes from the notion that man is God. And we're still arguing over the exact same thing that Pontius Pilate said to Jesus before he was crucified. What is truth? So what is it? Is it what I say? Is it what you say? Is it what anybody else says? Because, hey, we're just all, we're just all doing our thing, living our truth. Is that what truth is? Is truth what man says God says? Or is truth what God says? Religion is what man says God says. Truth is what God says. So we have to come to this place on Easter Sunday of reminding ourselves of the foundation of what it is we confess to believe, which is the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ saves us, that we need to be saved because we cannot work out our own salvation aside from Jesus, that there is no hope for humanity in any other thing or in any other person aside from the man Christ Jesus, who did in fact, historical fact, resurrect on the third day over 2,000 years ago on Sunday morning. How's the Bible study going for you guys? Okay, so far? Just checking in because I understand like this is, you know, it's a little tough to digest, but I've just been in this space of paralleling culture Bible. I've been in that space, personally. And I've been looking through the lens of Scripture at everything in life and doing my best to obey God. But I'm understanding the more you do that, the more out of fashion you become. So I've been in this space recently. I'm like, I don't even know where I fit. And that sounds about like what Paul said. You will be aliens in this life. Sojourners from another reality. You will find your citizenship in heaven, meaning you're going to have a foreign passport. This is the reality of the life that Jesus has saved us for. And we must recognize this because Jesus told his own disciples in the same way that they hate me, they're going to hate you. You're gonna have suffering in this life. If you think that's not gonna be the case, then don't follow me because following me requires you to lay down your life and pick up your cross. 
Following me does not mean that you lay down bad habits and you pick up blessings. But that's what modernity has made Christianity out to be, which is why we go and get seven principles that help us, or at least they're supposed to, until we wrestle with those realities late at night when we lay our heads on the pillow and tears stream down our cheeks and we're saying, there's got to be more than this. I'm doing all the right stuff. I'm going to church like I'm serving every now and then. Just a little dig, you know, a little pastor dig. If we're ever going to do three services, we need more people to serve, okay? I'm giving, you know, every now and then. But the reality is none of that saves us. None of that helps us. None of that truly ministers to the depths of our soul. There is only one place that we can go for hope. There's only one place that we can go for freedom. There's only one place that we can go for salvation, and that is in one man, and his name is Jesus. That's what Easter is about, and that is what we are celebrating. Deep down, we all know we need this. And in, in the book of, uh, book of Luke, uh, chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus himself said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows what's in your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Is that not a wake-up call? Because I think we all know this is true. We all know it's true, but we try to pretend like it's not, hoping that in some way, shape, or form, like who we pretend to be will become our saving grace. Well, if I just had more money, I'd feel better. No, you need to be saved. If I just had better friends, man, I'd feel better. Nope, you need to be saved. If I was just more well-known, then I would really feel valuable. Nope, you need to be saved. Man, if I could just like discipline myself to get up early, nope, you need to be saved. Man, if I could just somehow like get enough therapy there's nothing wrong with therapy, by the way, but like, that's not your salvation. Like, if I could just like get enough counseling to where I could get off of this, you know, a hamster wheel of my sin cycles, then I could probably feel a little, nope, you need to be saved. Like, that's the solution. That is the answer to humanity's problems. We need to be saved by Jesus. There is nothing that we can do within ourselves that will help us. It has to come from him. We need to be saved. We need to be saved primarily because we sin. And, and sin really sucks. You know why? Because sin separates. If you, if you need to learn anything about sin, remember this. Sin separates. Everybody say it with me. Sin separates. That's what it does. Sin separates. Sin primarily separates us from God. It separates us from our ability to hear from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and he's not going to listen anymore. That's what sin does. Sin separates. Secondly, sin separates us from abundant life. We, we, we all can testify to feeling like I'm alive, but I'm not really living. Sin separates us from abundant life. When we live in sin, we live separated from the abundant life that Jesus paid for on the cross. So we sort of drone on. We turn it to cruise control. We don't have any major ups. We don't have any major downs. When people ask us how we're doing, we're like, fine. Yes. We're good. What's been going on? I'm busy. Right? That's just the way in which we live when we're separated by sin from God. 
And then we make these terrible personal inner heart vows, like no one's ever going to hurt me again. You need to be saved from that pain. No one's ever going to treat me like that. You need to be saved from that rejection. This is, no one's going to do that. I'm shutting that part of myself down. I'll never feel that kind of pain. You shut that door to all that pain. You shut that same door to all that potential joy. And then you live in this space of like, well, I'm pretty, you know, balanced. Like you're not having any fun. And Jesus Christ called you to live an abundant life in him. You need to be saved from the state that you're in because that's not abundance. That's not joy. And joy is the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit lives in you. And that your normal, natural state of being is, and I didn't say happiness. I said, there's joy. What's the joy? I'm saved. I can have joy when I remember I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved by Jesus. Sin separates us from abundant life. It's what Paul talked about when he said, you're in sin, you're dead in your trespasses. For the wages of sin is death. Yeah, you might be living physically, but you're dead in your soul. Right, we could probably all testify to knowing what this is like. Like, yep, been there, done that. Sin, sin numbs us up, and it puts us on cruise control, and we just stay in that space, sometimes for years. And we, look, and we look back and reflect, and we're like, it's just blacked out. Yeah. What did I do? I don't know. You were living in sin. Yeah. I didn't make any good memories. You had fun, but there's, there's no abundant life. Yeah. It's possible to have fun and not have joy. Yeah. We, come on, we need to be reminded of that reality. Man, I'm getting out of all this stuff. You remember, sin separates, Right? The enemy tries to get you to separate yourself from everything that's good and wholesome and holy and loving in your life. He said, separate yourself from your spouse, separate yourself from your kids, separate yourself from your friends, separate yourself from your church, separate yourself from your leaders, separate yourself from your pastors, separate yourself from your parents, separate yourself, go on, do it your own way. Sounds a lot like that parable when Jesus had to leave the 99 to go to the one. Separate, 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 separate. And, and, And then the enemy tries to convince us to this place of like, hey, just have some fun. Right? And then it's like, okay, yeah, I'm having all this fun, but I have no abundant life. The club is fun. I used to go. Partying is fun. I used to do it. Drinking is fun. I still do it, but I just switch brands. It's the Holy Ghost now. Right? Paul said, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Anyway, okay, man. I just need some more charismatic Pentecostals in this service, I can tell. There should have been at least one show in there. I didn't, I didn't get one. I didn't get one. <laughs> yep. All right, here's the last one I got on uh, sin separating. Uh, Sin separates you, uh, no, actually, I got two more. Sin separates you from freedom, so that's one. So so here's what Jesus said about sin. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Meaning you wanna do better and you wanna get free, but you just can't. You know what I'm talking about? When you're like, I'm in bondage to pornography. I don't even wanna watch it, and I watch it. I hate it, and I just back on it. I don't even want to pop pills, drink liquor, 
whatever it is, just fill in the blank, whatever the depravity is. I don't even want to do it, but I'm just doing it again. You're a slave to sin. That's why you need to be saved. That's what Jesus says, right? So you're on this cycle. You're on this hamster wheel. You cannot get off of it. The only way to stop it is let Jesus stop it. So here, here is the last one. Sin separates us from peace and from purity. That's why Ezra said in chapter nine, oh my God, I'm utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you for our sins are piled higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. What does that mean? I feel shame, I feel guilt. I feel dirty, I feel impure. That, isn't that what the lifestyle of sin feels like? I'm pretending, I'm acting like I'm good, but the truth is, in my heart, I'm not good. I'm dirty, I'm wretched, and I know it. Acknowledge that before God today and be saved by Jesus. Number two, the reason why we need to be saved is because Satan wants to destroy you. This is another part of the message that's really not PC. But it's reality. Satan is real. He is our enemy. And he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to stop our life. He wants to stop our purpose. He wants to stop God's will for us. He wants to stop God's word for us. He wants to stop God's truth for us. He opposes us, accuses us, slanders us. Satan causes suffering. He, he, he gets in the way of, of God's purpose, God's word. He does his best to make sin attractive. Right? One of the greatest strategies of the enemy is to actually minimize sin until you commit it. And then he maximizes it and blows it up and says, see, Right, when he's tempting, he's like, isn't this so attractive? No one's ever gonna find out. No one's ever gonna know. Oh, they're gonna know. You guys heard that little Instagram reel or whatever? No one's gonna know. No one's gonna, that's like the enemy, right? When he's like baiting the hook, like nobody's gonna know. It's not really a big deal. Everybody does it. Come on, you know the vibe. What's good for you is good for you, bro. Don't let anybody tell you how to live. That's control. You do you. You're all good. Go on ahead. Enjoy your life. YOLO, dude. Turn up one time. Y'all know that I'm telling the truth, right? It's like, oh, yeah, okay. You can repent for it tomorrow. It's true, but it's a distorted truth because there's still effects that can linger long after you repent. It's not really a big deal. Then you do it, and it's like, he magnifies it. You're such a terrible human being. You're the worst. You're a terrible Christian. You're not fit for the faith. You might as well deny Jesus. You should leave your church. You better stop evangelizing because you're not worthy to evangelize. You're not anointed. You're, who do you even think that you are? Right? That's exactly what happens because that's what Satan does. He opposes us. He comes to divide us. He comes to separate us from peace and from purity. He comes to destroy us. He comes to kill us. Satan is the worst. So we need to be saved from Satan. Thirdly, we need to be saved from death and hell both now and in eternity. Like some people, like, like I said earlier, some people are alive, but they're not living. Some people are alive, and they live like in an actual present tense hell situation, and they need to be saved. And Jesus comes to save us. 
from death and hell, both now, presently, in our circumstances, and for eternity, forever. Because if we'll believe in Jesus and receive what he says, then he guarantees that we will go to be with him in paradise for all of eternity after we die. This is supported both in the Old Testament and the New. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Salvation has eternal implications. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you. You cursed one, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Hell is real. Hell is real. It is found right there in the Bible, right? You guys with me? I understand. It's, it's kind of a hard one to wrap your head around because there's a lot of people who've made a platform out of trying to disprove the reality of hell, but you cannot do that with the Scripture. And you cannot do that with the words of Jesus. We need to be saved from death and hell, which is why we need to be saved by Jesus. Okay, last one, number four. We need to be saved so that we can know God and be close to him. Because being saved is not just about being saved from hell after we die. It is being saved to heaven through our relationship with Jesus, both for now and all of eternity. All right, we're not getting saved just so that, you know, we don't go to the bad place when we die. You've got a whole lot of life to live. Live in a way now that you're going to be living for all of eternity. How about that? In paradise, in communion, in union, in beautiful intimacy, with your soul being satisfied with the abundant life that Jesus Christ paid for, for you on the cross. That's what's available to us through salvation. Jesus is our only hope for this experience in life. You can try out as much, as much as you want to try out, but you will not find it in anybody but Jesus. That's the truth. That's the reality, that's the eternal truth, and that will always be the reality. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has truly sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. You know what that means? Only one way to God. There's not many ways to God. <laughs> There's not many ways to God. There's one way to God, and it is through the person Christ Jesus. Now, on the other hand, there are many ways to hell, right? Jesus says, broad is the path that leads to hell. Narrow is the gate that leads to the path of heaven. There's only one way to get to God, and that is through Jesus. On the other hand, there are many ways to get to demons. There's also many ways to get demons. If you want to say it like that. Like, because, I, I mean, I watch... I like to watch YouTube at night. I do research and, you know, I listen to sermons and things like that. I mean, just put in the YouTube search bar like demons. For the sake of research. Listen, I'm not saying watch a whole bunch of videos. Like, look, do it in a holy way, right? Like, I, I listen to sermons about this, okay? I'm not saying, like, go in the other direction. But just recently, like, a celebrity who I'm not gonna name drop was on a reality TV show talking about how she talks to demons. 
right, and she was being interviewed, and she was like, yeah, totally, I talk to demons. They say my name, they say all this stuff, you know, they talk to me. Listen, if you do not know that our culture is currently captivated by the occult, by demons, by spiritualism, and all of that, like, you're definitely sleeping under a rock. Like, can we all agree? Like, and we as Christians are so afraid to mention anything about Jesus because we don't want to offend people, and yet we know the way in which they can get saved from all of this mess that they are entangled by that is truly plaguing them even when they don't acknowledge it on a TV show. There's only one way to God, and it ain't mushrooms. It ain't on ayahuasca or whatever that is that people go down to South America and take with the shaman. Like, that ain't the way. Right? The devil disguises himself as an angel of light. People come back like, I met with God. You met with a demon disguised as God. He told you he was God to deceive you and separate you from the actual God who can bring you love, life, peace, eternal hope. That didn't say comfort. But that's the reality of what Jesus offers and Jesus only. I'm preaching it this way because I want some people in the room today to get saved or somebody on YouTube today to get saved because we've looked for solutions through so many different mediums and we have found that they are lacking. I'm telling you, go to Jesus. He lacks in none of his ability to save you. He has proven that he is able to get you up out of the grave of your sin, of your shame, of your guilt, of your impurity, and all of the stuff that you may be experiencing in this season of your life, Jesus saves, and he is the only person that can save you. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to God except through me. I'm the door. If you wanna get to God, you gotta go through Jesus. He is the Savior. Acts four, verse 12 says, salvation is found in nobody else, for there's no other name under heaven given by, to mankind by which we must be saved. First John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful, and he's just. That means he exercises his justice to do what? Forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness by the power of what we are celebrating this morning, church, Easter Sunday, his resurrection, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And here's what it means to be saved. You can't get saved by any work of your own. Salvation is found in the work of one person and one person only, and that is the work of Jesus. Titus chapter three says he saved us, not because of works done by us in, in our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal, the transformation of our whole being by the power of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us Richly, not scarcely. Richly, through whom? Jesus Christ. Who's that? Our Savior. So that being justified by his grace. You guys have all heard this. Justified, never sin. Justified by his grace that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is salvation, church, and that is the work that Jesus has accomplished for you. And this is all done through God's grace. It's all done through God's goodness. Romans chapter three, verse 22 says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who choose to believe. For there is now no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as what? A gift. What can you do to earn a gift? 
That's not what happens on Christmas. You just open up and receive it. It's a gift. That's what Jesus has accomplished for you through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. So what do you need to do to be saved? This is where we'll close. What does, what does a human being have to do to be saved? Number one, belief. Believe. Believe. Scripture that goes with this is whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We must choose. Everybody say choose. We must decide, everybody say decide, because that's within your power. That's the only thing that you can do to be saved is simply say, I am choosing to believe. I confess with my lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe that God raised him from the dead. Notice, there is a difference in belief and faith. I didn't say you have to have enough faith to get saved. I said you have to choose to believe to get saved. If you're lacking in faith, there's nothing you can do to grow in faith except ask God for more. Because the gift of faith flows from him. It originates in him, not in you. So we say, I choose to believe. Jesus is Lord, and God has raised him from the dead. And if you're in here today and you've never said that before, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that in just a moment. If you choose to believe, the next thing that you must do is you must repent. You must repent. Notice there's a difference in confession and repentance. Some people believe that repentance is like abracadabra. I repent, therefore, I'm fine now. And then they go out and do the exact same thing that they were doing before, thinking that later on that night they can just say those magical words again and it will be no problem. They can go out the following day and do the same thing. That's not repentance, church. It's not what the Bible teaches about repentance. To repent means to actually turn yourself from your sins. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And Peter said to them in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's what repentance looks like in an illustration. Sin, Jesus. I repent. I make a deliberate decision to turn my back on my sinful ways, and I make a decision to turn my face towards Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of my salvation. Repentance is a decision, and here's the last one. You get baptized. You get baptized in water. Get baptized. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you make that confession and want to get baptized here next week, we're doing baptisms next Sunday, church. If, if you were baptized as a kid and you didn't really know what you were doing, get baptized. Just, I'm, I'm just saying, honestly, I encourage you. If you, were like, if you got baptized because your cousin got baptized, that was my story. I just thought it was cool to get dunked in front of everybody. And my cousin was going up, so I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's cool. I'm gonna do that. 
But if you need to get baptized again as an adult and you need to communicate this eternal reality about you, do it next Sunday by signing up for baptisms. You can do that There's a, in the seat back in front of you. There's a QR code. You can go on our website. You can DM us, all the above. Let's stand up. We're gonna pray. First thing I'd love to do is, if you could please, just everybody close your eyes and bow your head. Please, if, if you don't mind, just stay for three minutes longer. Don't rush out just yet. We'll get you out of here as soon as we can. But just, just bow your head and close your eyes. And if there's anybody here, you've heard this sermon and you feel like God's working on your heart and you're like, that is me for sure. I need to get saved. Would you just lift your hand courageously because I wanna pray with you. Awesome, I see you. Is there anybody else? I see you, amazing. I see you, great. Anybody else? We're gonna pray right now with our friends. Great, I see you. We're gonna pray with our friends that have lifted their hands because today is the day of their salvation. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Everybody say it with those who've lifted their hands. If you lifted your hands, we're gonna repeat with you, but you know, you give it the meaning from your own heart as you speak directly to Jesus. You say, Jesus, Jesus you, are Lord, you are Lord. And I believe in my heart today, and I in my heart today that God raised you from the dead. Take my life. It belongs to you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'm forever yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The team's gonna lead us back into worship just for a moment longer. But if you need prayer, if you just repented for the first time, I want you to come up right here and see Kristen and Cooper. And if you need prayer for anything, come down, see our prayer team. We're here to pray with you and celebrate the reality that you have been saved and set free by nobody else but Jesus. Last time, let's say Jesus is Lord together. Jesus is Lord. You guys got it. Thank you for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.